a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This, indeed you are, Paul, is Fan Effect. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fan Effect, brought to you by the Megaplex Theaters, Larry H. Miller Megaplex Theaters. A great place to see a movie, and movies is what we're talking about today. The long wait's finally over for fans of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's been two drought-filled years as we wait for Phase 4 to begin now, technically, Phase 4 began earlier this year with WandaVision on Disney+, Plus, followed by Falcon and the Winter Soldier on Disney+, Plus, followed by Loki on Disney+, Plus, which isn't technically finished as of right now as we record this. But we finally get another big screen Marvel Cinematic Universe entry. And since that's where the Marvel Cinematic Universe began, hence the word cinema, this is where it should be. And we finally get to see Black Widow. The big question going in, is it worth the year's wait? How good is it? We'll answer all those questions, although I'm thinking the box office. By the time you listen to this, the box office will speak as many volumes as we can ourselves. I'm Andy Farnsworth, your co-host, and joining me today is Deseret News, Herb Scribner. Welcome back to the podcast, Herb. Of course, if we're going to talk something major uh, pop culture, we've got to bring in our, uh, our expert from the D News. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Excited to chat about this movie. I was I planned to talk about it a year ago, but, uh, you know, things happen. So Yeah, I did talk about now. it a year ago. Turned out I didn't know anything. I was just guessing and making it all up as I went along. No, I'm just kidding. I watched <laughs> the trailer from Saturday Night Live, what their trailer for Black Widow was, Age of Me, and that. that was a hilarious thing. And joining us as well, welcome back to the podcast, Natalie Molinay, Pop Knowledge Blog. Has that been going better, Natalie? It's been going. It's been going. I got two kids and a full-time job kind of keeps it at bay, but... So you're essentially like all the rest of us. I know. I'm like a normal person. Yeah, a normal person. See, and, and of course, the child chimes in at the perfect time. You couldn't have planned that better. I know. The blonde one with Andy at home right now, right? <laughs> so... No, but I'm super excited to talk about some Marvel things. It's been, been too long to not talk about Marvel, so I'm super stoked. Well, then let's just dive right in. We'll do the first segment uh, without any big spoilers, uh, although I think most of our listenership is already excited to see this. And uh, I'm hoping, you know, since we're recording it after it has officially hit theaters and hit Disney Plus premiere, uh, that a lot of people will have seen it already so that we can keep this part short and really dive into the real meat of everything. Uh, so essentially, uh, what we where we start is uh, Natasha Romanoff, of course, one of the original Cinematic Avengers. Uh, we don't know a lot about her. Uh, she's hinted at things in the course of several movies. Uh, I would say probably the most you find out about her background is probably Age of Ultron. 
And then this movie takes place immediately following uh, Captain America's Civil War, in which she kind of switches sides about midway through and uh, uh, was originally on Iron Man's team. But after the fight at the airport, she kind of defects. She she actually kind of plays the role that Spider-Man played in uh, the actual Civil War comic story that uh, the movie was based on. Spider-Man defects from Tony Stark to Captain America's side. But in this case, the movie picks up, and I actually, for a split second, thought that uh, when, when I saw William Hurt and I saw everybody walking in uh, in that first scene after the after the flashback scene, I thought that maybe we were going to find out that she was like at the college from The Incredible Hulk, and this was when they tried to take the Hulk down originally and that she was sort of somewhere in the background. Turns out this is actually post-Civil War when William Hurt's, uh, I guess he's Secretary Ross at this point, is going to take her down. And she does the uh, classic spy move of not even being in the same country as where they all think she is and where we think she is, of course, that they set that up. Uh, and so Natasha goes on the run and that's what sets in motion all the pieces that happen in Black Widow. So it's really hard to talk about a Marvel movie without giving something away. So I think what I'll have to say is at best there are light spoilers for the movie. If you don't want to know anything about the movie then you probably shouldn't listen to this at all until after you've seen it. But if you're okay with knowing just some vague generalities about plot, where things go without necessarily you know, finding out any key details, that's what we're going to do right here. So I guess maybe where we ought to start is just give me your basic reactions um, to what you thought without giving anything away. Uh, Natalie, why don't you go first? Since this is Black Widow, and I think you dressed as Black Widow one time. No, I actually never have dressed as Black Widow, but I once almost bought a Halloween costume of Black Widow. But well, that that's, that certainly qualifies you to go first. <laughs> Herb and I, I have almost, never done that, I, I hope. Did. You guys should. It'd be a bold move. I should so, note, by the way, that uh, sitting behind the board running everything is our uh, co-host, Kellyanne Halverson. She wants to say as little as possible because she thinks, air quotes here, she's not qualified enough, which is just <laughs> absolute bunk in my opinion. But you're going to hear giggles and everything every so often, and that would, be, uh, that would be Kellyanne. And she'll jump in when she wants to, of course, I, because there, as I've always said about this podcast and everything else, everybody's opinion is fine. Nobody's wrong unless they disagree with me. And... <laughs> Whatever you think is what you think, and let's get the viewpoints in here, because not everybody sees things the same way, and that's okay. It's, I'm just excited to hear what you guys are going to say about it, so I, I'm, I'm going to be the fly on the wall. But oh, I'm, I'm going to say so many things, so deep. You're going to feel like I am Natasha Romanoff's brother when I'm done with this. <laughs> just kidding. All right, so go ahead, Natalie. First thoughts, your reactions. Uh, let's assume that we're all just excited to see a Marvel movie again, so let, we'll, we'll stipulate that for all, all three or four of us. All right, so, yeah, it's been a two-year drought. When I went and saw Black Widow before it was released in theaters a couple weeks ago with Killian, um, I thought it was a fun movie, and I was really pleased with how it went. I love Natasha. I, I, I don't know if it's because we share the same name, but um, she is a super epic person, and she, there's just been little that has been known about her. So when I watched the movie the second time today, I liked it a lot more. I was able to dig a little deeper into who she was and understand better. But overall, I think it's a great female superhero movie because she, I feel like she is a character most people can relate to because she technically doesn't have any superpowers. Um, and she has a past and we all have a past and how she deals with it and how she overcomes it is very admirable. And 
I think just this movie did a great job at showing just how tough and how great of a leader she actually can be when all the boys aren't around. So you're saying that you used to be a spy also? Is that how you could relate? Yeah. I knew well, it. I, I, I knew there was something mysterious about you, Natalie. <laughs> I know. It's a fake French last name, you know, so that's all I'll say. <laughs> all right, Herb, your initial thoughts as you saw. You got to see it before all of us. You got to see it before we were even told when we were going to get to see it. So, And you got to talk to some – did you get to talk to one of the cast members? Is that right? Yeah, I got to attend a – it was like a Marvel press conference thing with uh, all the act, major actors at least. And uh, You did the press Kevin Feige was there. Yeah, exactly. Oh, well, that's awesome. Yeah, it was cool. It adds a little bit of context to the film. And it's also interesting how much they actually spoil in that conversation that you don't – think they would want to spoil but they did which was kind of funny but isn't that Um, why they made you watch it before that yeah oh yeah of course but you know they know we're going to write about it and then they know that those details will get out there so it's kind of funny the way they just hype up the film at one of these press conferences so is this your first junket then no i attended one for the falcon and winter soldier loki as well and i think those are the only two so far well, yeah. I hope you can hear the jealousy in my voice. Look who's Mr. Big Time. So jealous. <laughs> but here's the other thing. So not only did Herb get to go to uh, the junket, he got a literally exclusive screening of Black Widow. Tell me about that. Yeah, it was kind of funny. I mean, I just got kind of an email that said, hey, do you want to attend a Black Widow viewing or do you want the, or the digital screener link or whatever? I said, oh, I'll attend in person thinking it was going to be the ones that, you know, we all attend where it's like everybody you know, and I'm sure the one that you guys ended up going to. And then I get there, and it's literally just the person from, like, the marketing company or whatever, and she's like, yeah, you're the only one here. And so I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I A told, literally I exclusive screening. It was wow. Herb and an empty theater. Yeah, I think I would have prepared differently if I knew that. But, yeah, it was just kind of strange. I was like, all right, this is weird. And then, like, later I said, like, hey, like, what's the deal? And they were just like, oh, yeah, you know, like, I was the only one on the list. So I don't, I didn't know. I don't know the details. But it was kind of cool. It was kind of cool. I uh, I didn't get trailers or anything. And it was pretty hard start time and all that. But it was kind of cool to have the theater alone. I mean, that's never a bad thing, I guess, especially in pandemic times. Yeah, see, that's like a unique experience. You, you can check them all off. You had a theater all to yourself. I've never had that. I've come close to that. I went to like an early screening, I think, of Ready Player One, and there was me and one other person. Not an early screen. Like, it was just early in the day after the movie came out, like the Tuesday after it came out, and it was like 11 a.m., and it was me and somebody else in this giant auditorium, and it was weird because I kept laughing at these things, and the other guy didn't ever like peep or say a word or anything, and I thought, he's going to think I'm weird. Like, there was no other cover of anybody else reacting the same way. At least if you thought something was cool, you could have yelled at the screen. You could have done literally anything, and there would have been no judgment. Obviously, I'm not going to spoil it, but the end credits, post-credit scene, I definitely had a reaction I wouldn't have had in a normal theater, just because I knew I could be a little more uh, exuberant in my response to things. So <laughs> That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, I kind of I did do that. You're right. <laughs> All right. So you saw it early. You got to do the press junket. And then... Tell us what you thought of the movie. I'm sure, first of all, we can read your review online at uh, Deseret.com of what you thought, but give us a, give us a little bit of a, your reaction here. Yeah, I really liked it. I, I've never been a big fan of like, and, and this is where Marvel fans think I'm, I'm like not a good Marvel fan or reviewer or whatever. I've never been a big fan of the Captain America movies except for Civil War. And I think I like Civil War more because I'm a Tony Stark fan. So when I heard all these comparisons that, like, you know, Black Widow is pretty close to, like, Winter Soldier, I was kind of like, eh, 
I don't know if I like it, but I loved it. I think it really did justice to Natasha and the whole the whole story. She definitely earned a movie like years ago, and I think like a lot of reviews have said it, it's a little late. But I thought it was great. I think everything was like perfectly executed. It was funny. It was the action was great. I also am not a big action scene guy. I feel like most fight scenes and car chases are all the same, so they usually bore me. But this one kind of had some new takes on that, which I loved and. It was just a really good movie. I think it was also refreshing to watch Marvel as a movie rather than like a series. You know, that week-to-week grind of all these series is is just uh, just different than what the cinematic universe was kind of built on, which is these movies. So it was just refreshing. It was fun. Obviously, it's, I don't rank it as high as like an Infinity War and Endgame or anything like that. But, you know, I think if, if you're a fan of like your Doctor Strange movies or these one-off solo films, this is a good one to see. So that those are my thoughts on it. And I like the balance of having different movies in the, I mean, we've got 24 movies now and it's nice having some that are like main story character. If you look at it in the comic book universe, you've got the ongoing series, you know, Spider-Man, Captain America, and they just kind of do their own thing with the very occasional crossover with somebody else. But it's sort of like focusing on them and their own personal problems and their own personal villains in general. That's how it's been, at least over the, you know, 50 to 70 years of the current age of comics. And then you have the big crossover event series, Civil War. I could name off a whole bunch of other comic series that you never have read unless you're like a big-time comic nerd like me, but you have the ones that bring all the heroes together for one kind of major thing, and then they all split back and deal with the consequences in their own individual series. And so I like having the balance of those two things. I'm with you. I wouldn't put this ahead of Infinity War or Endgame, but as far as the solo movies go, for me, I'd say it's top 10 of the 24 movies. Just outside maybe the top five, Captain America Winter Soldier is my favorite of, of all the whole entire series. And then Infinity Wars right after that, and then probably Endgame. And, you know, at that point, it kind of, they all just sort of jumbled together because I like them all with maybe the Incredible Hulk being down at the bottom. <laughs> I didn't hate it, but it's, you know, not one I'm in a rush to rewatch. I do think it was far and away better. And it actually, to me, makes Captain Marvel look even worse now. I said this before. I said it when we talked about Wonder Woman a few years ago. I like when the hero is good and they just happen to be fill in the blank, a woman or, you know, someone else in Black Panther. It was an awesome hero and an awesome story. And he happened to be African. I like that. What I didn't like was I felt like Captain Marvel was look at this amazing woman. It's so good. She's a woman because only a woman could do all this. That's what I felt sometimes like Captain Marvel was. Again, I'm a guy, so you know you can discount my opinion if you want, and you have every right to. But I liked this because she was really awesome, and so honestly was Florence Pugh as Yelena Belova. I mean, they were both just kick A, and I, I really liked watching them do what they do, and they just happened to be a woman too. And that wasn't like in my face. They were. I don't, I don't know how else to say it. And I even like that. Even though it's dealt with a lot of women issues, it was a, a good balance there. It was very, very strong female without it feeling preachy. <laughs> right. I, that's the main thing. I don't, you know, and, and there can be good movies where you get preached at too. That's mm-hmm. fine. But I just enjoyed this more. I thought that the pacing was amazing. I actually compared it in my review to Raiders of the Lost Ark, where you jump in with some action, you have a breath, 
Then all of a sudden, some more action or a chase, and then you get a, a second to breathe, not very long, and then it gets into something else, and that's how I felt. Like It felt paced quickly like that. One thing led to another, led to another, led to another. I didn't think any of them were gratuitous, at least as far as I, I was okay with the story. I watched it twice. So I, you guys went to the movie theater. I specifically requested the screener link for two reasons. One is I wanted to take you know some of my family members, give them a chance to see it, but also because I wanted to have a chance to watch it more than once so I could confirm what I thought the first time because some superhero movies I've gone through and watched and the first time through, I was like, oh, that's so good. And I'm absorbing the story and I'm taking all the twists and turns that the story you know is supposed to get you on the, oh, wow, I can't believe that thing. Then you go back through and watch it a second time, and suddenly the parts of the story that aren't as interesting, because now you know what's going to happen, suddenly you're just getting through those parts of the story to get to the part that you liked. I wanted to see if that's how I felt about Black Widow, where there are going to be parts where I was like, okay, I'm ready for the next part. You know, Oh, I really want to see this fight, or I want to see this interaction. I was surprised, maybe a little bit surprised. I didn't find any parts, to me, that dragged. Like, it it was just well-paced, well-written, tight together. And then the key to me, what made this so good, is the dynamic of their little fake family. Yes. So David Harbour as Alexi, Rachel Wise as Melina. I already like Rachel Wise anyway. She's the mummy queen and just, you know, I've loved her for 20-odd years now. Mm-hmm. And then you got Florence Pugh, who I remember when I saw her in Little Women a couple of years ago. I remember thinking, okay, I could watch this girl. I could so watch great. her in some other stuff. And she just killed in this role, literally and figuratively in this role, as uh, Yelena Belovin, who more or less is going to take the mantle of Black Widow, or at very least the position that Black Widow held, I'm assuming, mm-hmm. on the Avengers as we go forward into Phase 4, because uh, as far as I understand is Scarlett Johansson's last time in the role. Yeah. Of course, we know what happens with the character in Avengers Endgame, well, Infinity War and Endgame. So we knew going in that there wasn't going to be much story to tell beyond what we saw here. And so tell me if I'm wrong, guys, and maybe since, Natalie, you've watched it twice and a little bit more recently, I didn't see tons of ties to the rest of the cinematic universe. It was kind of a self-contained story. I mean, other than you know where it picked up and, and, you know, it starts in the immediate aftermath of Civil War and then she says some things at the end that lead you to believe that it's leading right up into Infinity War or at least somewhere in between there. But it was a self-contained story. It dealt with things from Natasha's past, but that didn't necessarily relate. I mean, of course, they talk about Tony Stark and I don't think there's been a movie yet that hasn't mentioned Tony Stark's name. (laughs) But believe it or not, I liked it. It didn't have a ton of ties to all the rest. That made it a sort of enjoyable movie on its own. And you know, I'm sensitive. I don't like when the critics talk about how, oh, this movie's just setting up that movie and this movie's just doing this to that. So I get defensive about that because I like it. And I like that this one didn't have that. And I felt like, okay, critics, take that. Yeah. What was fun about this movie, I think what Marvel's doing a really good job at now is making the movies into genres. So Black Widow was more of a spy action movie, you know, where we had Ragnarok, which was a comedy, and then we'll have Into the Multiverse, which sounds like it's going to be a horror film. So... I think that was fun about watching Black Widow is that it almost felt like a James Bond film in a lot of ways. But it was fun to see Natasha Romanoff and then her little band of a fake misfit family backing her up during all this. Yeah, I see that. I see that it, it just keeps going. You're right. Um, I watched it. Um, I'm, you guys are going to hate me after this. But I, I was also sent the screener link like weeks later. So nice. I was um, 
anyway, I watched it twice, and the second time I watched it, I was very impressed that it never slowed down. Every time it moved to a new scene, I was like, oh, yeah, I love that part. And then, like, the next part is like, oh, I love that part. And like I said earlier, I mean, a lot of those finale action scenes where you're like the hero confronts the villain and there's some kind of like sneaking into this room to get to here and all the all the trickery and all that like that can feel long in some of these movies so this one it did not feel that way they kept twisting they kept turning but they just had some really cool you know one-on-one battles and stuff that uh just kept it moving and you know you brought up something too that i that i had forgotten about but uh, part of the reason that works is the ability to inject humor. I mean, I, I know the scene you're talking about, since we're not spoiling, maybe we'll have to discuss this after the break, but as the plot is kind of speeding up towards the resolution in the final third, there's different moments where these hilarious things are happening, and to me, I like that. I like it when there's some kind of slightly absurd things that happen. All right, so we're going to talk about those specific plot points after the break. So right before we do that, let's wrap up this segment. Uh, first of all, just a heads up for, uh, you know, I don't know if I'd call this a family film because really not all the family can and should watch it. Yeah. Although there's nothing particularly objectionable, I thought. It's rated PG-13 for language and violence, including some blood, which actually plays a, a plot point, too, in, in, with the blood. But um And then there are some sequences of mind control, which I know some people find disturbing and don't necessarily like to watch that kind of a thing happening. It's two hours and 20 minutes long. But again, we've mentioned that we didn't feel like it dragged in any spot. So the big question then is, should you watch it in the theater or should you watch it at home on Disney Plus Premiere? I have not seen it in the theater yet. I did get the screener, watched it twice, and I paid the $30. So I've got <laughs> I've got the Disney Plus premiere version of it uh, so I can watch it. I haven't even been home yet today to, to have a chance. But I can't imagine it didn't look awesome in the theater. It is available in IMAX, which I think you should always try to see a Marvel movie in IMAX if you can. So I'm going to probably go back and see it in IMAX because I want to see it on a huge screen. So you girls and Herb who've seen it on the big screen, I'm assuming worth it, yes? Yes, Definitely. Yeah, I'm, I'm all about the movie theater for this one. I think the best benefit from the streaming service, and I wrote this in my review, is that you get the subtitles, and I think that would actually help with understanding some of the like language stuff because some of the accents in there are pretty heavy. So there is a benefit to watching it from home for sure. And so I, I will speak to that. So what I did was... I got it, and then I went over to the neighbor's house, and we had a bunch of people come watch it, because I wanted to share it with more than one person. (laughs) And we did turn on the subtitles, and it was helpful. I don't think we got as good a picture as uh, I would have gotten, even on Disney Plus Premiere. But uh, that's a good point about the subtitles. That that really does help. I, I watch subtitles with everything. When I actually go see movies in the theater, I get frustrated when I miss a line of dialogue and I immediately my eyes shoot down to the bottom of the screen to see if I can pick it up. And then I'm like, oh, never mind. I'm going to have to wait three or four months till I can watch this on disc and turn on the subtitles right there. You think Russian yeah, accents comes- are hard to understand? <laughs> Well, they weren't, from what I understand, the the biggest complaint I'm hearing today from people who started to watch it is that the Russian accents were terrible. I don't know. Really? I don't know enough. Yeah, Doug and Steve on the movie show were both talking about how (laughs) terrible David Harbour's accent was. I think having the subtitles would be good to kind of learn the names a bit better. Yes. I get confused when there's languages that's not my own. Names, Names, yes, that's true. Yelena. Yelena. All right, so that's it. Uh, we so we recommend you see it in the theaters if you can. It's certainly worth it. Uh, but if you do have it on Disney Plus Premiere, 
uh, you know, get people, get get a big group to come over and watch it together. Have the, uh, you know, have as big a communal experience as you feel comfortable with, uh, or just watch it by yourself. But it's more fun when you watch it with other people. Uh, I know that was the case, uh, even with me, with with the little bit of a neighborhood party that we had watching it. So, all right, we'll take a break, and when we come back, we will go into a, a deeper dive, including spoilers. So if you haven't seen the movie, this is the part to stop until after you watch the movie. Come back in exactly two hours and twenty minutes. And listen to this right after you've watched it. Fan Effect, Talking Black Widow. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to Fan Effect. We're talking Black Widow. Now it's time for the deep dive. Herb Scribner from Deseret.com and Natalie Molinay from Pop Knowledge Blog and Kellyanne Halverson on the controls and with the occasional chime in. I'm Andy Farnsworth. And all right, guys, so now let's deep dive into it. Uh, we can start spoiling plot points. I always think that whatever's in the trailer can't be considered a spoiler because that's literally for the public to take a look at and to speculate about. So if you saw it in the trailer, to me, that wasn't a spoiler. So we were in, I don't think we saw any of the young Natasha life in the trailer, but that was literally what the movie opens up with is 1995, somewhere in Ohio. And it's always Ohio. Right. It's Midwest. That's <laughs> You got to start in the Midwest. Anywhere else and you're accused of being too uh, liberal or culturally elite or this or that. And they all look like an all-American family. It, it wasn't Halloween, right? No. No, I don't think it was It was just Halloween. a random day. Uh, Hopper from Stranger Things comes home to his family in the past. By the way, I heard David Harbour changed his look just so people wouldn't get confused with his Stranger oh. Things character. Mm-hmm. He changed it for Black Widow so that people wouldn't be like, what? Especially, I haven't seen season three of Stranger Things, but I heard they end up in Russia somewhere. So, <laughs> yeah, I can see why he would do that. We find out that they were actually embedded as the deep cover spy, Think the Americans TV show, where you have a completely deep cover Russian team that is acting as if they are Americans. They eat mac and cheese for dinner. They have American jobs. They have perfect American accents. Perfect American music, too. And they like American music. And suddenly, David Harbour comes home, says, hey, everybody, let's have dinner. And now let's take a gun and pack and run away immediately. And that's where we find out, oh, what else is going on here? Uh, I guess... Does he say Natasha's name immediately? No, it takes a while because at the beginning I didn't know that was Natasha. I didn't either. I thought it was a boy at first. Which really? Was kind of cool seeing <laughs> I such thought it was a, a boy too. Right? <laughs> which is good because she's so feminine. and. That's was, interesting. <laughs> I did not know that. That you, I, I don't know. I figured that's exactly what it was from the moment <laughs> of. But 
That's good, though. Then that means that, that it wasn't necessarily supposed to be telegraphed and super obvious. At any rate, they bug out of their house, and suddenly a whole bunch of uh, black sedans start chasing them, black SUVs, 1990s SUVs anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they were probably Chevy Suburbans. <laughs> <laughs> that was the only SUV that was around And when I was finishing up high school. You kids are all too young to know that. But at any rate, uh, they, then they have this spectacular chase in which they manage to escape by the skin of their teeth. Natasha has to fly the plane when uh, Melina gets wounded, and they land in Cuba, which is, of course, the nearest Soviet uh, outpost uh, from the 80s and 90s. And from there, this family gets broken up. We find out that Alexei wasn't too thrilled with being undercover. He wanted to be uh, like a, a field. We don't find out that he's Red Guardian till later. Well, at least we don't find it out in the movie, but we knew that who he was because we've seen the trailers. Mm-hmm. And then Natasha defends... Yelena, like with a gun, ready to shoot whoever when they try to separate them. That was something that I picked up a little bit more on the second time through was the connection that she has with Yelena, especially since they bicker a little bit later in the movie. But And so then later when Natasha says, you know, I should have come back for you, that carries more meaning. And that was something I didn't catch necessarily on the first time through was how vigorously and, and, and fiercely she was defending uh, her younger sister. So when Natasha says, yeah, it was all fake, uh, guess what? Your actions back in 1995 sort of betray that, that you, you actually did care more than you thought. It was really good. I think it showed just how fierce Natasha has been her whole life. Mm-hmm. And I'm like she actually was, I think, as we get further into the plot, that she was part of the Red Room before all this happened because she knows it's about to happen to Ilana. Yeah, and that's she why she, guards she was, she was your age, yeah. Yeah. No, I just love that scene just to see the sisterhood right there. I just loved it. So and then we jump into the current times, as we mentioned in our spoiler-free segment, where uh, Natasha's escapes and uh, ends up in Iceland somewhere. We find out that she has sort of her own contact, which even though we've never met this guy before, for me, it just made sense that somebody who's been a spy as long as she has been has contacts all over the place. Um, she gets dropped off at a dingy trailer out in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. At some point, too, we find out that uh, Taskmaster Protocol gets activated. That happens before she's in the trailer. Does that happen after they drop her off at the trailer? Because at some point, we get back to they activate the Taskmaster Protocol and because uh, Taskmaster catches her when she's going to get some more propane or, or to get some more gas for her generator so she can continue to watch. <laughs> what was she watching? Goldfinger. That's right, because they had the James Bond stuff. Yeah. I don't remember. I... Not like you guys. I have only seen it once. So you don't have it all memorized? No, I don't have it all memorized. I had to read through the plot (laughs) (laughs) again before we started this. So at any rate, eventually what happens is um, I I think at this point we jump to where we first see Elena on screen as an adult. Mm -hmm. She and some other widow operatives are tracking somebody. They catch the girl. She gets hit by a car pretty hard. That was kind of tough to watch. Uh And then right when Elena gets over her, boom, the thing explodes and a red mist blows in the face and Yelena is kind of comes to herself mm-hmm. and realizes, what am I doing? You, uh, you find out apparently that she was friends with this girl that she's tracking down and, and the girl's about to die and gives her the rest of the red vials and says, free the others. And so this is our first chance of knowing that uh, something's up. Which is cool because it goes along with a lot of the theme of the show, which is controlling others and particularly kind of controlling women like stock is kind of an under uh, flow there. So the idea that um, Elena, 
you know, she's been working as a, as a widow, but not necessarily because she wanted to. You know, Natalie was able to, to break free, but because of that mind control. So it really sets up this interesting story and theme throughout the film. And we get a flashback where we find out for Natalie to join S.H.I.E.L.D. She had to mm-hmm. essentially set up the assassination of the person who ran the Red Room. And we find out that uh, the only way she could guarantee, since she wasn't in the building, that he was in there was if his daughter went in to see him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then she had to give the all clear that go ahead and blow up the building. There's no collateral damage that's going to happen except, oh, there was. It was his little girl. So sad. Which is a tough choice for Natasha. But then, and and here's a thought, maybe it wasn't as tough a choice for Natasha knowing what she'd already gone through in the Red Room. Mm-hmm. And so maybe there was a part of her that was like, um, hey, you took away my ability to have kids. Yeah. Maybe this was sort of her vengeance maybe for a second, but she still felt horribly guilty about it. I don't know. That's just that's just a thought that I had as I was thinking. She didn't want to blow up the kid. You could tell there was some hesitancy on her part. So she takes out Drakov. She takes out Drakov's daughter. So when she talks about the red in her ledger in earlier movies, then now you're starting to get an idea of what she's referring to of some of the horrible things that she's done. She essentially told S.H.I.E.L.D. that the girl wasn't in the building that she knew was in the building just so she could take out the guy she hated. Mm -hmm. But that was also something that put, I think they de-aged her a little bit in that shot too. That was the only time we get somebody from the rest of the movie. We hear Clint Barton and and actually the subtitle clarifies that that's who was talking to her on the radio. Are we clear? It well, you get little Barton. hints of it throughout. throughout yeah, the no, way. I mean, you, you figured it was, but you got a little Budapest in there. Yeah, and so we know what she's done to to defect to the West and to join Shield. Uh, we know that uh, she feels terrible about that, and of course, that comes into play mm-hmm. later. Uh, I will say, I was a little bit surprised by that particular reveal. I, I mean, I wasn't, but I was because when I watched through the second time, they referred to Taskmaster as a he all the way through up to the point. Where you find out who it actually is. See, I thought it was a woman right from the start, just because I thought that'd be a good twist. But I thought it was going to be her um, surrogate mom. So I that was. Oh, you thought it was going to be Melina? Yeah, I thought it was going to be Melina. So that that was cool seeing that it was the daughter. And even when she is finally released from the mind control, when she was like, "Is he gone?" Talking about her dad. Oh my gosh! Like it was awesome. Oh, sorry. I'll I'll let you get back to. No, that's all right. Maybe I do know more about this film than I thought. Yeah, I thought the scene where, you know, she's sitting in the car and we, we find out that, you know, she quote-unquote killed, you know, his daughter and all that. I thought that was really interesting. And I know that they want you to think this. I just think it's worth remembering that it actually is another one of those moments that adds context to Black Widow as a character in the rest of the MCU and the way we look at her moving forward. And, and I know that like, if you were to watch this movie, like, after you watch Civil War and then maybe that reshapes how you view just everything about her. I think that's one of the things that like with Black Widow that's always hit me is that like you're picking up pieces along the way in all these movies and so like you get more context around her. So seeing that scene was like another moment where you're like, oh wow, she's got like a little bit of cold bloodedness in her and we knew that but it's it's more powerful to see it in like that setting. Taskmaster, I mean, yeah, I think they they set it up really since the promotion of the film just to make it seem like it would be a man i know that uh there was a lot of speculation that it was going to be um her friend i think his name's uh in the movie it's rick mason uh the guy who gets the jets and all that and i think they were trying to kind of set that up and tease that because even in the promotional posters they look very similar so um but i thought it was really cool the reveal of that and just 
it added another layer to like everything and on top of that i think taskmaster was one of the coolest villains to me just because of the way she got to use all the the different moves that the rest of the avengers used so that was pretty cool oh that was way cool. that's a good point i was kind of hoping for more i don't know obvious part, part of the cool thing about taskmaster is he can fight multiple avengers at the same time because he can use all their styles we got to see the obvious ones were Black Panther, you know, unsheathing the claws in the glove, uh, Hawkeye's bow. Uh, what was the other one? Um, Captain America throwing the shield. So I, I don't know. I Taskmaster was a guy in the comics, so I think they were also working with that perception, uh, hoping for that perception. And I didn't guess that it was the daughter, but I mean, I, I did, but only until he was probably walking over to her when he's like. Oh, my daughter. Since you mentioned that, I was like, oh, she must be Taskmaster. <laughs> and I thought it was going to be the mom. But it was only until that, until that moment. Yeah, I thought it was going to be the mom. And then when I realized it wasn't, I'm like, I bet it's the daughter. Because I thought it'd be, cause just looking at movement, I'm like, that is a woman moving like a man. So that's just kind of my thought there. Well, and she kind of looked like the Terminator with the little red line going across the visor. She was Kit from Knight Rider. Nobody you're old enough to remember that, but it's still a cool effect anytime you got the little red laser going back and forth across anything. Uh, so, her back to your point, uh, when we're talking about Natasha, one of the things when we see all these glimpses, this kind of solidifies that she's a survivor. Like, that's kind of how she's had to live her entire life. She believed up until this movie that she'd been dumped by her mom. She's had to survive on her own from the time she could remember. She had to survive the Red Room. She had to survive, you know, being deep embedded undercover. I mean, think about how that must be. We hear Yelena later when they're arguing at the table, which, by the way, my favorite scene from the movie was the was the sitting around the dinner table. I could have watched that for another five, ten minutes. But where they're kind of hashing things out and... Natasha, like the surly older teenager, is trying to pretend like she doesn't care about anything. But she's the one with the most raw feelings. Right. But then Yelena is like, but this was all real to me, you guys. Like, Mm -hmm. you're talking about how fake it was. It wasn't fake to me. I was a little kid. It was as real as anything else. Natasha talks about how they staged all the photographs. And, you know, they they did one holiday after the other so they could have albums. I mean, this is how deep undercover, if somebody came into their house, they would see photo albums of them at different holidays as if they had had them all along. The photo album came to be a thing, too, that showed, I think it was Melina, that she hadn't been quite as dispassionate as she tried to seem about everything. Uh, she trained pigs, but she obviously cared more about her her fake daughters than mm-hmm. she wanted to make it seem like. And even though it looked like she betrayed them for a while, yeah. she didn't betray them after all, which I thought was cool. That face technology was cool. Have they used that before? I'm trying to remember. Yeah, they have. It was they called did? Mission Impossible. <laughs> I saw that one. Yeah, no, that's what they stole it from. I was thinking the Marvel Universe. Actually, that was one of the complaints about Mission Impossible. A couple of the movies, they seem to rely on that technology, especially number three, number I three, think. Number three, yeah. They relied it's on the it only pretty one heavily. I've, I've really seen it. So we find out that uh, Drakov is still alive, as it turns out, that the Red Room has been running all this time, even though Natasha thought she had ended it. And she knew that her sister was an assassin, but what she didn't know was that she was still an assassin for the Red Room. Mm-hmm. And then you get this really awesome face-off between Yelena and Natasha, the fight Loved in the apartment. It. Oh, my gosh. Really well done because they were fighting before they were talking or they might not have had to fight in the first place. <laughs> and then they get chased by Taskmaster. Uh, they narrowly escape him by leaving the false trail of blood. Here's a reference to Avengers um, Budapest when they're hiding out in a Budapest. Budapest. <laughs> and, of course, we get the correction. Um <laughs> But 
one thing, like my favorite line about Budapest is when uh, when Hawkeye's like, clearly you and I remember Budapest very differently. <laughs> I think that's in the original Avengers in New so, York yeah. when they're fighting the aliens or something like that. And for years, we've been asking what happened there, and we find out, which is great. They were playing tic-tac-toe in a heater vent. <laughs> true, true. You don't I have to. I wish we learned a little bit more about Budapest, but right, I mean, yeah. at least got a general idea of like what happened there. And Nick Fury mentions it in Captain Marvel, so I kind of want to know what his role was in all of that, too. He mentioned he was in Budapest at some point, too. You know, maybe maybe we get the actual of what happened in Budapest coming up in the Hawkeye TV series. <gasps> That'd be so great. Because we haven't seen what happened. We've had multiple references to it now, uh, but we haven't actually seen what happened. It kind of similar to how Nick Fury got his eye messed yeah, up. It kind of just changes depending on what the writers need. At any rate, so now Natasha and uh, Yelena decide to go bust dad out of prison, which leads to the hilarious scene where... Poor Alexi. He could have got out of the prison at almost literally any moment, mm-hmm. as you see when he rips the guys through the security glass, telling oh gosh, stories the, about the how arm he wrestling fa- yeah. when he breaks the other guy's arm. Oh, I like. Oh, maybe that's a trigger warning. <laughs> Anytime so an arm, arm bends the way it's not supposed no. to bend. Mm-mm. Noodle arms are meant for cartoons and nothing else. <laughs> so they bust him out in a really cool action sequence involving the helicopter. I thought that was one of the more enjoyable parts the of the avalanche. movie. avalanche. Like, that was very unique. I, I don't think I've seen that in an action film before, like a prison break and a snow avalanche. That was cool. I think avalanche thing happened in, wasn't it Rise of the Planet of the Apes? Yeah, but that's not a Marvel movie, Natalie. <laughs> I don't think I'm I've sorry, seen that one. But then we also get Yolanda's really fun line that this would be a cool way to die. I love that line so much. And then they bring it back later. And I love their little bickering as it's going on and stuff. It's such a sister thing. I wish my sister was with me, but she was in Ohio. Like, that would be a fun one to watch together. And so that, to me, that, that goes back to the strength of the movie. When they're in the chase against mm-hmm. um, against Taskmaster and the other widows that are chasing them on the motorcycle. And she's like, well, what was your plan? Well, my plan was to drive away. Well, that's a stupid plan. <laughs> that's the kind of stuff that Marvel movies have done so well over the years that if they could just figure out how to get that into the DC movies. Oh, I wish. I wish. I mean, here's the... Well, I I could get sidetracked on the DC, but let's stick with Marvel. (laughs) Uh, Natasha's a survivor, but she's also had to learn to lean on other people over Mm -hmm. time. In this, she learns to re-lean on her her fake family. Mm -hmm. She's learned to lean on the Avengers-like family. And then eventually, you know, as we know, she sacrifices herself for the family. And uh, I-, I got a question. I thought Natasha's sacrifice was was cool no matter what they would have done with the rest of the movie. I-, I never felt like some people did that it was somehow cheapening her or, or like I-, I didn't feel like that was a kill her off thing. In fact, it looked like they went to great lengths to make sure that it didn't look like a kill her off. It was a hundred percent her decision mm-hmm. to sacrifice herself for the mines or for the, the soul stone. Yeah. Um, you know, her and Hawkeye are fighting over who gets to die. Do you think that this movie makes that scene more poignant or no effect or less poignant? What do you guys think? Absolutely. makes it more poignant. I actually am kind of on the side of like, I wouldn't say I thought it was a kill off scene, but I never really felt the weight of, her dying because I just feel like we didn't get enough Black Widow over the years. She didn't have her own movie. She pops up here and there, but it just didn't feel like we got, she never had a super big presence in like a lot of the movies. And so when she sacrificed herself, it felt kind of like, Oh, like I wasn't as sad as others, 
But now, thinking about it, I think this adds so much more context to that, and I think now it would it would hit me a little bit harder. I'm also um, not a big Hawkeye fan, and so uh, I see. Uh, yeah, so I was kind of like, kind of like, really, like when that happened. So yeah, I definitely this this adds to that, and uh, definitely adds to her role in, in Endgame and and Infinity War for sure. I agree with her. I mean, when she died, it was when she dropped. You know, obviously you're like, like, oh my gosh. But I think now that we see her more as her backstory and her humanity, that her sacrifice really was in her heart and things like that. So I agree with her on that one. See, and I had the opposite reaction when she died. I'm like, no, we need to know more about her. I don't want her to die. Like, I, I know they're planning on doing the Black Widow film, but it made it even sadder for me because it's like I wanted to know more about her, which I'm grateful that we have this film now to do that. So for me, that scene, I, I think this scene actually does add an, a separate layer to me. That was always an emotional scene for me. I didn't think it was cheap. I didn't think it was a throwaway death because Look at the age of Ultron. I mean, she was anti-Nat to Hawkeye's kids. She knew about his family. She knew she couldn't have a family. And to her, it was more important that those kids have their dad than the not. And so even before we knew that she had this, you know, quote unquote, family of her own that she considered family, this to me gives it that extra layer of now you know who she's leaving behind. Mm-hmm. Like now we know that she was not only just sacrificing herself so that Hawkeye's kids could have, you know, that they could have their their family unit stay intact, hopefully, um, but also because she had her own kind of family and, and she still had her sister who was alive. And, you know, I hope we get to see more Red Guardian. Yes, I love um, Red Guardian in this. I hope he gets, we, I guess we won't get it because Captain America's, you know, gone. But I really would have liked to have actually <laughs> meet Captain me? America. Yeah, that was hilarious. She, they're trying to have a conversation about something and he completely turns it to, so did he, does he ever, did he ever talk about me? <laughs> who? Captain America. What are you talking about Captain America for? We weren't even talking about that. Can't you get over yourself for a second? I thought that was one of the funnier lines in the movie. But uh, yeah, I thought that, that it made her sacrifice even more meaningful, but I felt like it was a meaningful sacrifice in the first place. Got a little teary eyed when she died the original time. In I think Endgame. I yelled out no in the, in the theater. Yes, like, but you were saying no because you wanted to know her better. I was just true, saying though. that's true. a pretty noble thing to do. And I got to admit, I was really surprised in this day and age that they would have the female character die. I'm right. not going to lie. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, Red Guardian and Captain America stuff. So I don't know if I just didn't get it completely, but I think it's a topic that like is really fascinates me because Red Guardian, Alexi, is you know telling these stories in prison like, oh, I fought Captain America, and it seems like he's lying, kind of right. He's like kind of like boasting about something that probably didn't happen to like other prisoners. But then later, he's asking Natasha, you know, like, oh, did he ever talk about me? And so now, like, part of me is like, wait, but, like, we know that couldn't have happened in theory because, you know, obviously Steve Rogers went under the ice in the Mm -hmm. World War II era, wakes up years later, more in the 2000s. So, and that would have been likely when he's in prison. So, like, what's the deal with that? Do you think he's just, like, lying to Natasha, too? Or do you think, like, maybe, I know that, like, and this is probably a little bit of spoilers for Falcon and Winter Soldier, but actually, you know, I wrote a piece about this that in that series, we learned there's all these like secret, you know, super soldier serums going around. Hmm. So do we think there was like another Captain America and like that actually happened? Or do you guys think I'm just reading too much into it? I personally think that uh, you're reading, I I, I mean, just my opinion, I think you're reading too much into it. I got the impression of, and this is part of what I enjoyed so much about the character is he, 
he was so full of himself. <laughs> like, that's what made it funny is he turns the conversation to that when she's talking about something else. I don't remember what she was talking about, but I know it wasn't that because then he says, does he ask about me? And Natasha's like completely like confused. Like, did who talk about you? Captain America. And she's like, we're not even talking about Captain America. Why Why is this coming up? But if he's asking that, it must have happened. Like, no. he must have faced some Captain America. Think about this. When he's in prison, they're talking about all the fan letters that he gets from mm. people. They send him as a toy. I mean, that's, of course, how he gets the earpiece. Yeah. It comes in the Red Guardian toy. And all the different times. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, Alexi's character arc is that he goes from a 100% Soviet Union supporter and believer in the principles of the Soviet and Communist Party to a very disillusioned one. Which we saw a bit in this. Right, and, and he talks about that, how he was frustrated because he thought that the principles were good, party but the wrong. party was terrible and the people were you know using it wrong. And, so, and then he gets thrown in prison for what? For opposing talking. <laughs> yeah, for whatever it is that he did, he gets thrown into prison. So he's really disillusioned. And to me, it was, and again, maybe I'm wrong about this, Herb, and this could certainly come to light in a future series or something like that. But I got the impression it was he had hoped that his reputation was so great that somehow Captain America had heard about it and asked <laughs> Natasha if the Red Guardian was as great as the things that he'd heard. Because it was almost like a reverse of all Red Guardian hears about the great Captain America, the great Captain America. And he was hoping that there was at least some reciprocation of his reputation was so great that it somehow got to Captain America and that Captain America was so intrigued that he asked the only Russian that he knew, which was Natasha, about the Red Guardian. And so <laughs> that's what I was laughing at when that exchange was happening was just the sheer like arrogance and ego of the guy. To, but also, you know, how fragile the ego was because he's like, he's Aww. almost whispering it. Did, did he talk about me? <laughs> See, I, I see it more of what, what Herb noticed was, was it another Captain America? Was it, you know, there's time travel in this universe. There is a, an older by that time. <laughs> uh, but that's America. an alternate timeline. Is it? It is. Uh, he had to jump timelines to come and give the shield uh, over to. Uh, okay, okay. I, mis, I misinterpreted that. That's okay. I don't know. This is also complicated. Yeah, I think that is probably the reaction. Um, I know David Harbour even yeah, he admitted that Red Guardian has to put up these, I think the phrase he used was like pseudo-realities, you know, to kind of like deal with the issues that he's not confronting. So he seems like a tough guy, big, huge guy fighting Captain America, but really he's insecure, all that. So I definitely agree with that. Well, um, and think about, too, he puts his suit on and he's like, ah, it still fits, even though it looks like it's literally about to split at the seams. <laughs> so I think you're right, creating that alternate reality. There, there's all kinds of clues that he does that. That's a good point. Yeah, and just like, I actually think that's kind of interesting what Kelly was just saying about uh, Captain America and uh, his traveling back with like the Infinity Stones at the end of Endgame and all that. Like, I don't know, maybe he did have to run Why in not? with Red Guardian. I don't know. So it's just one of those nuggets that like, yeah, there's an explanation. Like Andy's explanation is probably like, I'd say 99% sure is what it is, and I'm reading too much into it. <laughs> but it's kind of fascinating that like we never – Got to see Captain America versus Red Guardian and, and like, but you think, uh, maybe I'm going too deep on this, but, you know, the whole thing with Red Guardian is, right, right, like it's the Cold War, Captain America in the U.S., Russia has Red Guardian, but who would have been Captain America at that time? So it seems to me like there should have been a Captain America at that time, but. Well, we know that Isaiah, know. It, was it Isaiah Washington was Captain America at some point, I think during Korea, 
the Korean War. Right, right. And, Isaiah and that's, Bradley, yeah. that's what I think is. Oh, Isaiah Bradley. Yeah, yes. that's, that's what I think is because is, I even went back because that's what I was thinking. So I went, I went and looked at his bio, and he said he was in the Korean War. Then he was in the prison. And then he got released sometime in like the I think it was the '80s. And like, there's a stretch, but you could they could sync up. So it's kind of interesting. All right, yeah. I will I will say this to to you guys who who think this. You're starting to talk me into it, and here's why. Marvel has done very well in their story threads over 24 movies of taking moments like that that you kind of maybe thought were a throwaway or you mm-hmm. you did interpret it one way and it went another. I could see, now that you've said this, I could see that there is a point in some future movie in Phase 4 or Phase 5 where it turns out that uh, during Endgame, in a scene we didn't see when they were either trying to collect or return the Infinity Stones, that Captain America... I mean, I never thought Captain America would fight himself. I never thought that Captain America had a moment in the elevator that was exactly like uh, Winter Soldier, only it was... That was such a meta moment. That's one of my favorite parts about Endgame is when the elevator scene was set up exactly like Winter Soldier, (laughs) only he says, Hail Hydra, and everybody's like, sweet, and then they leave him alone. But... I could see that there could be some point later on picked up where even Steve Rogers somehow fought with Red Guardian. And then it turned out that that line was because it had happened and he hoped that or or there was something where they crossed. But for a moment and like Red Guardian's afraid that Captain America didn't really notice him or didn't realize it was him or didn't. You know, he didn't get a chance to show Captain America what he could do. See, now you got me going down this rabbit hole. I'm starting to see, I'm starting to see some possibilities. Well, now you have the what if series coming out. So oh, what if the so Red good. Guardian ran into Captain America at some point? Plus, I mean, there's a Carter. whole a whole thing about, yeah, seeing Agent Carter and Loki getting arrested by the TVA. So who knows? Well, that's true. That's very true. And we haven't seen the end of Loki yet as we tape this, so we don't know what the TVA exactly is, and we don't know, you know, the hints that they've dropped in Loki, which is, oh, no, that was supposed to happen, which I thought was kind of a, it was funny, but also kind of a cop-out. Yeah, so we've got this whole time-traveling authority, but we just kind of ignored everything that happened in the biggest movie of all time, because we can't have these two things at the same time. They seem to contradict each other. Oh, no, uh, that was supposed to happen, so they're okay to time travel. You're not. (laughs) Well, I thought it was funny anyway. <laughs> it's a good show. Everyone should watch it. Even Kellyanne, who hasn't watched a lot of Marvel, loves Loki. I've, so. I've, oh, I love Loki. I've watched a lot of Marvel, not everything, but I just I feel like I pale in comparison to you guys. I've just really been enjoying this so far. So we get to the betrayal moment. Um, the only way to get to the Red Room is to be taken there. So uh, Melina betrays or seemingly betrays the family. Uh, they take out everybody, and, and suddenly we find out that the Red Room is essentially the shield uh, helicarrier up in the sky. Science thrown out the window. Well, sure, well, which is why they could never find him, because he was never on the ground. Mm-hmm. We see that there's still widows in constant training. Um, I feel like Melina's looking into the room while the girls are training and like stopping there for like a long, lingering look. I feel like there's more to that than... We got in just the moment of the movie that I feel like that's going to get revisited later on somewhere. I don't know. It just seemed like too deliberate to be a throwaway moment. Uh, Or maybe it was just Melina considering, you know, this has to be stopped and I'm partially or I'm maybe majorly responsible for this because she was the one who helped develop the mind control serum. 
Or was that Natasha looking in when she was Melina? I don't know. See, now I'm confused as to who was what at what time. Natasha I'll have to rewatch yeah. that. But she she does the spy thing. She 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 essentially pulls what she did in Avengers to Loki. Mm-hmm. She pulls on. This is where Natalie's supposed to interrupt and tell me names. Drakov. Drakov. So. We see that she interrogate, she fake interrogates Drakov. She makes it look like she's losing and vulnerable so she can get what she needs to out of him, which in this case was finding out how to uh, access the system so she could download where all the widows were located. We had a scene that felt very eerily similar to Captain America Winter Soldier where you've got to get the data while everything's blowing up around you. In this case, it was pulling data out, whereas in uh, Winter Soldier, it was sticking the control chips in to stop the helicarrier. Then... Then we had a zero-G fight. What did you think of that? Oh, hold on. The first scene when she's getting all the information from him by talking to him is also a nod back to the Avengers, where we meet Natasha the second time. Remember when she... Oh, right, right. She did that there, too, yes. I didn't even pick that up. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking of her interrogation of Loki when she finds out his plan. (laughs) That, too. I just... When that was happening, I was like, oh, this is a nod. No, she's getting all the information right now. Well, it was so (laughs) creepy, too. Like She couldn't hit him. She couldn't hit him, how like close and they're controlling with pheromones and chemicals and everything like that. And, you know, I love that you mentioned that because I didn't even get that point. And in the first one, when she's doing that, um, there's a lot of references of where it, look, it looks like she's like this doe-eyed, seductive, quiet type thing. And, and it's just kind of flipped. And, oh, that is so cool. Yeah, I'm glad you made that point. Someone has to say the po- the pose, the pose. Oh, it? that's right. Oh, yeah. I mean, the pose. Okay. Oh, I haven't said this at all. Okay. Uh, Florence Pugh, Elena, amazing job, yes, amazing yes, yes, character. Yes. Probably my favorite in the whole movie. I was uh, really, really worried that they were going to kill her off. And mm-hmm. I was, like, bracing myself for it. I'm like, oh, she's not going to survive. Like, she's going to die. That's going to be the emotional tug at the end or whatever. And um, I was so relieved that she survived. And I, I have not been more relieved by, like, a character surviving since I don't even know when. So I'm glad that she's still alive. I'm glad we get to see her in the future. And I just thought she was so clever. And the chemistry between her and Scarlett Johansson was great. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, like, the pose line um, <laughs> is one of those, like, oh yeah, one of those meta moments, you know, like, where it's like, oh, yeah, why does Black Widow do that silly pose? So it's kind of, like, funny how they were making a recurring joke. I loved it. Well, then when she does the pose as well, the, the sister, and she does the, ooh, kind of shiver, grossness. Such loved a poser. It. Okay, so since we're talking about the pose and sort of that meta winking humor at the audience, you know, like, we've seen the pose. We've seen Iron Man do the pose. We've seen... Natasha do the pose and so we get this meta commentary that's very funny from Yelena saying you know what's with the pose and you flip your hair back and then she does it herself and we laugh at that and I thought that was funny and I didn't I didn't feel watching that that it pulled me out and and this is what I was saying the last segment this is a thing that I hated about Fast and the Furious 9 it, it, to me, it's the difference between winking at the audience like, you know, here's a little inside joke. We know you're watching and we know all this stuff is going on. And it, it's just sort of a little, I, I don't know, it's almost like an Easter egg or a reward for people who've been watching it all this time. 
right? If you jump in with Black Widow, you don't get what the funny thing is about the pose, other than it is funny to where she teases her about the pose, then she does it herself. Mm-hmm. But for those of us who've watched it, we know the pose. Uh, they do the pose, and they copy it in everything now. It's almost the Iron Man pose. He almost started it. Um, but when you, do, when you do that, that's funny. And, and this is what I hated about the, Fast and the, Fur- the last Fast and the Furious movie, is they took that, and they went too far with it. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen F9, but there's a scene where the characters are talking about how ridiculous it is that they've survived all the things that they've done. And... As they were going, it it got to a discussion to where he's like, no, really, this doesn't make any sense at all. He's like, we've done this and this, not even mention the submarine, which is talking about Fast and the Furious 8. And it got to the point where as I was watching it, it felt like they were saying, yeah, I don't know why you all are watching this series because it's utterly ridiculous. (laughs) And I I mean, I, I know that's not what they were going for and they didn't quite get there, but it got dangerously close to the line between and this is what i said in my review was it's one thing to 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 not take yourself too seriously but it's another thing to like almost to wink at you as an audience member hey we know that there's you're watching us and that this is a movie and this is fun but then they went so close to the line of saying like why are you here it's so stupid how can you even buy this as a premise does that make sense they did it well in, in Black Widow. Throwing in a humorous piece like that with the pose is one thing. And then going so far. And so they got in F9. I was I half expected them to say, because they're saying this to Tyrese Gibson's character. He's like, so what? You're almost saying like, what? Are we like superheroes or something? And he's like, yeah, maybe we are. And they're like, oh, or maybe you're just crazy. But they got one step shy of saying, you know, it's almost as if. We don't even exist and that there's somebody who's like writing the things that are going to happen for us to happen. Sounds a lot like Deadpool. (laughs) Yes, but Deadpool was – the whole movie was farce. Like it was supposed to be fourth wall breaking and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. This wasn't and it it got so close to it that that it just – it kind of bugged me. I think it's different when your little sister is the one that's teasing you about something like that. Like, no, but, it, but it was also for the audience, though. Yeah, it was also for the because audience. Because that's a joke for the but audience. The way they conveyed the message was different enough that it made it more fun and enjoyable and less wink, wink, wink to, to the audience. Yes. Do it in context. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I thought that this particular uh, scene in F9 did not get right, mm-hmm. and and Black Widow did. So I, I'm glad that we that you guys brought up the pose because I did. I've been meaning to unburden myself about that. Is <laughs> I like a knowing wink to like that makes me feel like I'm part of the right. of the team. And and F9 just did it too far and to where it, it actually took me out of it to be like, what am I stupid for wanting to see this movie? Is that what you're telling me? Like you're in the movie, and you're telling me I'm stupid for enjoying this and wanting to believe it. I gotta say, there's a difference in quality between the universes. I apologize to all Fast and Furious fans because, <laughs> Natalie, you're one, about to get furious. Like halfway through. Not Natalie. Kellyanne. Kellyanne, Kellyanne you're <laughs> about to get furious. I, I've only seen one like halfway through and I was bored out of my mind. So, And I, and when I watch a Marvel movie, I watch a Marvel movie. Yes, and but you're predisposed so to the comic book characters. I am predisposed. I was not a Fast and Furious person until I had to review Fast 8. And so I watched all the Fast movies. By number four, I was completely, completely hooked. I get bored with car chases. I was completely hooked. Which this movie did was a lot of fun. And they did the same thing with the car chases in this movie. They made it fun where That's it true. was that sister interaction and even the stupid 
my vest has lots of pockets and and that wasn't stupid. That was funny. I that that's what I'm saying. It was just these funny kind of random things in there that made it wonderful and great, and it's just difference of writing. All right, I'm curious, Herb and Natalie, anything you guys have on this? I haven't seen F9. Um, I plan to. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of interested to see where that franchise goes with that meta stuff because there was like a running joke for a while that like, oh, the next thing you know, Fast and Furious is going to be going to space. And then like, from what I've heard, there's a rocket on a car or something. So yeah, that that so it seems like they lean into the fan stuff. I think yeah, I think, which I'm uh, okay with to I a think, certain extent, but this was. This almost felt like I was being insulted. So I, I appreciate that Black Widow was able to do a meta joke that winks at the audience for knowing the story already or for being familiar with these characters, but doesn't insult them for knowing it because that's what it felt like almost. Yeah, I, uh, that's a good point. And I just, I think Black Widow did a good job. It's kind of like an inner joke, especially with like how many movies there have been and, you know, just the franchise itself. You know, at some point you got to poke fun of yourself for this stuff. You know, and it's also like it's also a realistic thing, right? Like, you know that if you were if your like sister was a superhero and they were doing these poses, and you're like, that's not what she would do in real life, then you would make fun of her for it. But yeah, it felt very natural for sure. What about you, Natalie? I was about to say, I think Deadpool is one to make fun of the superhero pose first. Mm-hmm. That's a good Deadpool. point. <laughs> but Florence Pugh, the way she delivered it was yeah, very natural, and it wasn't like forced. Where, you know, I feel like it was also a scene where she was kind of talking about the huge differences between her life and Natasha's life. And so it was just another just jab at her sister for trying to undermine that she's an Avenger a little bit. Just like, you you think you're so cool, but you pose like this kind of moment. But it was, I thought, I, I laughed at it in the theater, so. <laughs> you know, Florence Pugh just fit so naturally. That to me was mm-hmm. what I kept thinking as I watched it is, is. It didn't look like acting, you know, I, I don't know how to describe it exactly, but she just, she just was Yelena. Like she, she, she nailed all the things that they, that they set up through dialogue and trying to explain who she was. She just embodied them that way. And she looked like an action star when she needed to be an action star and she could be like emotionally vulnerable. Like when she says it was real to me, like I actually felt sad at that moment Mm -hmm. like that's a great job of switching between emoting and then kicking butt that 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 move she does on the guy by the door where she like flips around him and sweeps the leg like all in the same motion i can't get enough of that that's in the trailer and and i i just love that seeing that in the movie too And, and she had the great humorous lines and you know, she's talking about the Red Room and the Red Guardian, and he's finally like, you don't have to be so gross about it. She had great lines. Now, this is where the real world crept in. I had no doubt she was going to be fine because she's going to take over the quote-unquote Black Widow role for Phase 4 going ahead. Kind of role security there. Job it, it security. really is. And, you know, and I knew that, uh, that there's a in the Marvel comics, there's a White Widow, and that's Yelena Belova. Oh, okay. So... I actually was poking around on the Marvel Wiki because I'm not, I don't know everything about everything, even though I try to sound that way. But I, I, you know, for example, for Loki, I uh, looked up Sylvie. Mm -hmm. Oh, Mm -hmm. there was an actual comics character named Sylvie also that uh, Loki had, had Loki's powers for a while in the comics at any rate. But in this particular case, I just knew that she was going to be the sort of the Black Widow character for whatever Avengers team we're going to have going forward. So I wasn't worried about her dying. 
I didn't know about Red Guardian. I didn't know about Rachel Wise's character. I didn't know if they if they'd kill her off so that they had the experience of, you yeah. know, the Disney movies got to kill one of the parents, I right? Thought, I thought one of the family members would die, and I thought it was most likely going to be one of the parents. So, and since we know who Red Guardian is, and we never we never found out Melina's last. I don't think we did. It might be somewhere in there. But mm-hmm. what did you think of the villain? I know that that's a common complaint about Marvel movies is that the villains aren't always good. So, what did you guys think of Drakov as a villain? I liked. I don't, I don't even know who the actor was who played him, but I thought he he did a really good job. He, he he sort of, I don't know. I meta thought he sort of represents all the lecherous, controlling men throughout history that led up to Me Too. Like he represents all of that in one with a Russian accent. Mm-hmm, definitely. I just hated him so much. I mean, as a mom, I mean everyone mm-hmm. at the very beginning. When they're showing kind of like a quick visual of like what happens when you enter the red room and you're, you know, basically herded like cattle into these trucks and then you're sorted and you're based on your biological data, you're either get entered in the program or not. So he basically is like a human trafficker to put these girls in situations that they don't want to be in and then be mind controlled. So he's, you just hate him from the very beginning. And then, then exactly what he does to his daughter is, you know, it's also make her a spy and a super soldier and uh, he was just a horrible person and so when when natasha can't fight him you get so angry but in the back of your head you're like but natasha's gonna figure it out she's gonna figure it out because she's smart and they have this figured out but i hated him for so many reasons (laughs) okay so i guess we should talk about trigger warnings right (laughs) well i think it goes back very much to the female experience of people trying to control you or trying to use you as an object, which is what he does to these these women. And I love that he really um, was the villain and it wasn't really Taskmaster, even the perceived villain from the advertisements and the posters, which was Taskmaster. No, he was controlling the villain. So I... And it yeah. was his daughter. I and think that kind of makes it an daughter. even another layer on it. And uh, his daughter was under mind control. And, and she wasn't uh, even doing it because she wanted revenge. No, she could have been just a regular happy person. And she wasn't mad at Natasha when she snapped out of it. She was she, the first thing she asks is, is he gone? Like, is, is her is her dad gone? Oh, yeah, we, we hate him. Uh, we hate the villain, which is good because you want to hate the villain. Right. What about you, Herb? What do you think villain-wise? And now we're boys, so we're going to comment from the male perspective. <laughs> oh, I like a good villain. Like, I, I think that an, an evil villain, is you, that's what you want. You want somebody for the hero to overcome. We talked about that in the Joker podcast uh, okay. you know, a couple years ago, Herb. What did you think of, uh, of Drakov? So I like what they did with villains here. I like that they had like a little bit of Taskmaster, but Taskmaster was doing his bidding. I, I like how they kind of split it up like that. He was the worst kind of man that you could like ever want to meet. So I think that was perfect for this movie. He was uh, trying to find a good, like a, a family appropriate word. That, like, <laughs> um, let's just say he would be, he would be outcasted from your family pretty quick. Like he was just like, you know, just not a good guy. And I like how they did that. And like I said, at the beginning of, of this podcast, like one of the things I, I think with Marvel movies is that a lot of times the villain is a older stronger version of the hero and they get the same power and then they or the same suit they make a couple upgrades and then it's up to the hero to come back whatever i liked that this was a little bit different i thought the mind control stuff was very fascinating and i think that could be something i i could see us like them using down the road as like another device um and you know we're at a time in in the mcu now where finding 
a new villain is very hard. Um, you know, you know, because you wonder where they've been all this time if they were always around. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, you know, Thanos was such an epic villain that, you know, you're not going to get something like that. You're not going to get something that's like crazy, you know, destructive and cosmic because you're going to find that maybe in Loki or something like that. So you have to kind of play it a little more grounded in this. And, and so he was very grounded and Taskmaster was a cool way of like, it's not reinventing the wheel because that suit can just use all the hero stuff, which we haven't seen before. And I think it was a, an appropriate villain and, and the right kind of right kind of balance for this kind of movie. And I think it showed, too. I will agree with critics who say the villain wasn't strong, but I think the point – this movie wasn't about the villain necessarily. It was more about Natasha. And so, like, I think that helped give more spotlight on the family aspects rather than, you know, heroes got to defeat the villain. It was more about – freeing the women than it was about defeating the villain which i think was important it wasn't world impending doom it was it was a bit different yeah and and i actually appreciated that this was humans fighting humans i mean yes there was some enhanced strength and and red guardian has super soldier serum in him but you know and somehow all these spies never miss a shot until they have to miss a shot (laughs) until the plot requires them to miss a shot but it was nice that it wasn't as guardian gods duking it out or planet destroying super lasers or something something to that effect to where it's you know all of humanity wasn't a threat although you know at the very least political stability on the planet was Mm -hmm. potentially threatened by the widows and the control that he had over them but it was it was kind of nice to kind of rein in the scales a little bit you know we we just had a galactic spanning universe spanning because he wiped out half the life in the universe uh thanos did uh so to kind of bring it back down to the planet earth and I hope we get to see a little bit more of that. I know, I know they're going to have to build up another, you know, major crossover villain at some point. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's going to be a time traveling Avengers enemy. There, there's some of those to choose from in the comics. I'd like him to see him create a new villain who's never been around, so that we can be like, like just nobody the, knows. Like literally, movies, all of us, no. no matter how big of a comic geek you are, no matter how little of uh, you know of comics, you're in the same exact boat going into to what you know about that villain and the answer is you know nothing about him. So I'm hoping that they can develop a compelling one without them existing. I mean, Drakoff didn't exist. We knew of the Red Room. I honestly thought it was run by Russian women, to be quite honest, based on, you know, Natalie's flashbacks in, in Avengers Age of Ultron. But I think it works better to be run by an old stodgy communist guy. That that seems to fit both stereotype and probably history. I, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with Phase 4. You know, we've got... We've got Shang-Chi coming up, Legend of the Ten Rings. We've got the Eternals. I don't know who's going to be the villain in that. Maybe one of the other Eternals. There's a whole bunch of them. What have we got coming up still? Multiverse of Madness. It might be that Scarlet Witch is the villain for that one. I mean... We have the What If series coming out. Yeah, but the What If is going to be like... The What If is more of a a look back. Oh. Because Mm -hmm. you're going to look at situations you're already familiar. What if if Black Panther 2 had Chadwick Boseman? That's about the only thing they could do forward. Um, but that's a look back at what we've already had. And that's what What If has always been. And I love the What If comics. Those are some of my favorites because they take a story that you're intimately familiar with and tweak it. And I'm sure we're going to do a deep dive on What If once it finally comes out. We better. Mm-hmm. But you also forget that they introduced a a pretty large villain at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Adam is a... Well, Adam Warlock's a good guy. I'd forgotten about that. But Guardians 3 has been, they already told us that Guardians 3 takes place prior to Endgame and Infinity War. Oh, it does? I didn't know that. Yeah, that's what they've said. That's what what James Gunn said. I'm the fly in the wall. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. So, 
I, I mean, I guess they could change it. He hasn't made the movie yet. He's still finishing up the Suicide Squad. And so uh, I don't know how far into pre-production or how far into the story Guardians 3 is, especially since they fired him and then brought him <laughs> back. So maybe he's further behind. I don't know. The special will reveal something. <laughs> yeah, we've got uh, conventions coming up this summer where there's potential things to, to be revealed as I, we go along. I thought they weren't. They decided not to come to Comic-Con, to the big one Yeah, Marvel's not going to San Diego or Comic-Con. DC. No, but they'll do their own announcement at some point. Nah, okay. Marvel's Disney and so Star Wars. Star Wars is now doing their own thing. I bet Marvel will do Marvel's become a galaxy unto itself. True. Uh, so curious uh, what you guys think uh, about how, where does this rank – I mean, if you had to, if you had to put it, would you put it top half of the Marvel movies? Would you put it higher than the top half? You know, obviously higher in the top half, I guess. It's hard to judge when it's, you know, first weekend based on other, you know, versus other movies that you've watched multiple times, but just gut instinct, where would you stick this? Based on, as a solo film, as like almost an origin film, like, you know, Iron Man, Captain America, the first Avenger, things like that. I think it's better than Captain Marvel. Mm -hmm. I think Captain Marvel is actually the worst origin film. But I would say I'd put it probably just underneath Iron Man as the the first film. I feel like the second best. um, Oh, you put it second best. Okay. Okay. But not as like compared to all the Marvel films, it'd probably be in the top half, but not in the high top half. Okay. Herb? Yeah. So uh, I actually wrote an article about this. So shout out to Deseret.com. Check it out. Um, okay, don't tell us all think, of your five so we can go to it and read it, but where about – go generalities then. So generality, it would be – I guess if you were doing 1 to 24 and 27, if you include the shows, it would be – I have it, it actually is the ninth film. I, okay. I have it ninth right now. It's uh, As far as solo films go, uh, or origin films, that thing, I'm, I kind of agree with Natalie there that it's it's below Iron Man. It's just got a lot of fun moments. I don't know if it's a recency factor, like you said, but I do I do rank it in the top ten for me. One other thing I told people before, like, I think if you had fun in, like, and, of course, it's a different kind of film, but if you had fun in, like, Doctor Strange is, like, a solo film, kind of its own thing, whatever, then you'll have fun with this movie. So that's kind of how I rank it. I mentioned it earlier, of course. I have it in the high higher portion. I think it's fair to kind of have a scale where you take out the four Avengers movies plus maybe Captain America Civil War, which was kind of like a half Avengers movie. But it would be it would be right up there. I just I just really enjoyed it. I, I you know, I didn't hate Captain Marvel, but it made Captain Marvel like really stand out how maybe a, a missed opportunity it was or something because if they could do this with Black Widow why couldn't they do that with Carol Danvers why couldn't they do that See, with but I thought that was her more origin of a family story. friendly so that's one reason why uh, Captain Marvel was a little bit more um, yeah but it still could have been better for like story wise and and you know I, I don't know I don't want to bag on Captain Marvel because I didn't think it was that bad but I also use the judgment of which of the movies that I get excited to watch again and this is one that I'm looking forward to watching again, and I don't feel like, uh, I got to watch this one with the. I got to get through this one when we're watching them all as a family, like as you know, in order, because I've got some younger kids who haven't seen all the Marvel movies yet, but we're going through them. And this isn't one where I'm like, all right, we got to get through this. I kind of felt like Falcon and the Winter Soldier felt like that a few times, where I was just sort of watching it because it was part of the story, and I wanted to know the story, but I wasn't necessarily like invested heavily in it. Uh, where I was in WandaVision, especially, mm-hmm. you know, the first several episodes. And and so far, Loki, I've been more invested than than Falcon and Winter Soldier. But so um, but 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 Black Widow, I just I enjoyed it. I laughed. I liked it. 
And when I went through it the second time, I was like highly on guard, but I didn't I didn't feel any drop off. Here's a question. I liked Wonder Woman 1984. Me too, but, but I this biased. movie made it look like garbage. <laughs> it did. It was definitely a different feeling. I did not it was much better than 1984. I, I would put this up against the original Wonder Woman, which I loved. Oh, yes, 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 yes. And so that's yeah. what I'm saying. Like it, I liked Wonder Woman 1984. People hate on it. I didn't hate on it that much, but this made it look terrible by comparison. <laughs> it just did. Well, the pacing was so much different. I felt like there was just too much going on in 1984 that you didn't you need, didn't have to have like those three plot lines going all at once. <laughs> that could have fixed the movie, I feel like. But this one was, I'd put it on par with the original Wonder Woman. Yeah, I um. I'm kind of a fan of 1984, Wonder Woman 1984. I thought it was actually really good. I actually liked Thank it you. more than the original. I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was a little more, I get like some of the cheesy moments and the moments people like kind of uh, speak out about, but I actually loved it. Uh, Dude, I legit cried but, during part of it. I'm not, that's why I say, I did not hate Wonder Woman 1984. I, I, I needed to make that clear because I don't think we ever did a podcast about it. We wanted to, but life was crazy, 2020. But, right. So I did not dislike. I gave it a really high rating on my TV review. I had a bunch of people come up to me after and be like, you suck because that movie was terrible and you told me it was good. And I, I like felt bad because I didn't want to recommend something they didn't want to see. But I liked it. And so but but then when I saw this, I just thought, wow, this this just did all the things right. Uh, Wonder Woman 1984 had some moments that were really, really good. I mean, obviously, I, I got emotionally moved by parts of it, but I just thought this was all around a better film. I thought it had better action. It, it was it was just more enjoyable. And, and I don't know if that's Marvel bias. I, I don't think it's Marvel bias, but it could be. Mm-hmm. But that's just how I felt. And watching this, I, I, it was clear immediately that this was a, a superior film. Yeah, I definitely think it was better than 1984. And Yeah, I think I like it more than Captain Marvel. I, I have a soft spot in my heart for Captain Marvel. And that's only because that was the first ever movie that I got to go to like a press screening for. Ah. So I have like a, I have a, I have a soft spot for that one. That's fair. So, That's fair. Yeah. Attack of the clones was the first one I got to go to and freaking, I loved that movie and I know everybody hates it, but <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't discount how awesome my jaw hit the floor when I was watching it. So any rate, uh, that's fair though. Uh, Herb with you can, you can have a soft spot. Like I said, on fan effect, everybody's right. It, it's Okay. Argue your point. That's great. I'm sure somebody out there agrees with you. Um, We're not going to yuck your you're, you're not wrong, but uh, but you kind of. No, I'm just kidding. You're oh. not. You're not. I'm, I'm teasing. So here's uh, what I think we ought to wrap up with. So I think this is a great kickoff to phase four. But, you know, they set it in the, you know, the, the pre-end game world. So none of this takes place post-snap. We don't, you know, the snap. We haven't had to deal with the snap. It was kind of nice to... This kind of, you know, re-wets our appetite, especially since it's been two years since we've had any Marvel movie at all. That was never in the plan for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We're going to have a ton of content come at us, like, in a short time. Mm-hmm. I think this is a good way to kick off Phase 4. You got a little bit of, of what's going back, but it does plant some seeds for going forward. Now we can talk about the post credit scene where mm-hmm. Yelena's the, at Natasha's grave, and we get to meet Contessa Valentina, Julie Louis-Dreyfus. Who is that, by the way? Because that's one I don't know because I haven't seen – I know it's something with America and Winter Soldier. I haven't seen it. Who is Valentina? Yes. Well, that's about all we he know. Does. She's cameoed in those two spots. Natalie knows. <laughs> I did a whole post about Val because I was curious about who she was too. But she's basically a more villainous version than Nick Fury. 
Ah. Sounds like her and Nick Fury were buddies at one point, and then he went off and did something, and she went off and did something, and ended up in England and for the Shield in England. So she and is then the kind of, okay. yeah. No, and that's then in the comics, right? Yeah, and then she was sent to prison, and then that's all we know after that. Mm-hmm. There's nothing after that. So she maybe we know that she rounds up. Um, oh, what's his name? John Walker. I forget his U.S. Name. agent. U.S. agent. And so we know that she's trying to build a team to kind of be another set of Avengers, but we don't know if they're going to be bad Avengers or if they're going to be another good Avenger. But obviously it's in this end credit scene. We see her egging on Yolanda to go take out Hawkeye. So I think it kind of shows Val's true colors. Well, but we don't know who's pulling Val's strings either. Is there somebody up above her? That's the point. We have we have two encounters with her. One, and it should be pointed out that she was supposed to make her debut in the post credit scene from Black Widow. Remember, this was scheduled for May of 2020, and then Falcon and Winter Soldier was supposed to be fall of 2020. So we were supposed to know who Valentina was when she walked in to talk to John Walker in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Okay. We got it reversed. I don't. I don't think it makes a difference one way or the other. I think the reveal was essentially the same thing, and so I don't. I don't think we had to see it one above the other. But we do get a little bit more of a sinister vibe when she's saying your next assignment is to kill Hawkeye. Then when you see her recruiting U.S. agent, knowing that that takes place later, that a we don't know if she's succeeded in killing Hawkeye because. We don't know exactly when Mm -hmm. this encounter at Natasha's grave takes place versus when does the encounter with John Walker take place. And we know when the encounter with John Walker takes place because we know where that is in relation to post-Endgame, post-the-snap, post-the-return by everybody. But we don't know when Yelena is crying at Natasha's grave. We just know what happens after Endgame. At some point, that's true. Well, did you – I don't know if this was super obvious – do you think that was next to her, her real mother's grave as well? Because there was no. the, but there was the pink tree right next to it with an older grave, like. Right, but the guy was all he wanted to do was get under Natasha's skin when he was telling her that because that's why he was so emphatic on saying the grave was marked unknown. Well, yeah, but but still, like there was a pink tree right there, like a, with the pink flowers on it. I thought maybe that that was something to come back. I look way deep. Here's into the other everything. thing: <laughs> Did they have Natasha's body? Or is that just a grave marker? That is true. Where would they get it? Did somebody go back to the soul world to get the body? Hmm. It's a grave marker, but then we don't know. Like maybe Steve was able to go back and get her or something. We got an universe of possibilities. We got a lot of what ifs. Oh, yeah. A lot of what ifs. (laughs) What if Steve Rogers went and got Natasha's body and buried it in that grave? It's a very short episode. He gets it and they bury it and then it like rolls the credits. <laughs> and it's the same one the mom is buried at because there was a flower. Obviously, tree you with... want this to be true. I want it to be true because it'd be really great wrapping it all together and the connections of family and relationships and bio family versus. Uh, I think we're always supposed to wonder how much Drakov was lying and how much he was telling the that truth in that scene. That is true. Because he doesn't want Natasha to know. That's why he delivers it so viciously but she is out there like she has three families now she has her fake family she has her bio mother she has her, her bio mother's family. dead probably but it's still family like she, that's still something she can go hunt down like there's still possibilities she has a father. Mm-hmm. that's true a father. but remember she doesn't have any superpowers so it really doesn't matter who her parents are boo i'm sorry it just doesn't matter boo probably palpatine Pal- yeah <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Sure, why not? 
J.J. Abrams, you going to work on a script for this? Uh, that was a good one, Nat. Herb, what do okay. you think about this whole Contessa? Does it matter when she met? What What is she planning? You know, what, what, what are your thoughts about her? Yes, that was the moment that I alluded to earlier where I was in the theater by myself and I had, like, a reaction. I had a jaw drop. I had, like, a, I, like, jumped in my seat. And I had read some of the pre... Like, I know when Falcon and Winter Soldier came out, there were some stories that... Uh, I think it was Vanity Fair reported that like her introduction right was supposed to happen in Black Widow, so I knew it was happening. I but I just forgot. So yeah, I love that she's now this like kind of like this thread that keeps weaving between the the projects, and it would be interesting to like see if she's like a negative Nick Fury, kind of creating her own team and all that. That's and, true. Nick Fury did go around in the post credit scenes of the first few movies, sort of creating the Avengers. I actually love the way it worked out. I mean, obviously, if I could do it all over again, I wouldn't have the coronavirus pandemic, of course, but I like the way that we see her in, like, Falcon and Winter Soldier, and we don't know who she is, we don't know what's going on, like, but she's helping John Walker, so it kind of adds, and then seeing her in this, it actually provides, I think, a better reaction than we might have gotten the other way, and like you said, Andy, like, no, it doesn't matter, right? Like, we still don't know anything, but I think it was cool because I think in another world, you see this scene first, you're like, oh, okay, whatever. And then she shows up in the other one, you're like, oh, this is a thing. And then right. I think the way we saw it was like, this is a thing. This is already going to be a thing. And then it's like, oh, this is really, really a thing. And I do I do agree with you. And I think that's going to be the big payoff is that who's she working for? What is she planning? Because it does seem that Marvel's going the, and I think it did this before, but I think now because they've learned a lot of lessons and, you know, they're starting this new era, you know, when the, with all the experience they've had, they're starting an on-the-ground, Earth, here's what's going on level, and then, like, a what's going on in multiverses, space, all that kind of level. So it'll be interesting to see how those connect, and maybe maybe she's, like, the connecting dot between them, that, like, she'll be, she's, like, on the ground for someone in space that's going to come down and, you know, do whatever At they do. At some point, so anyway, all the worlds love- will converge again. But they can build them in kind of three different spheres. That's an interesting thought. I I, I think I could see that as well. Um, Space versus what's happening on Earth versus what's happening in multiple dimensions. And then at some point they all intersect. Yeah. And I think it was actually interesting. Someone alluded to this this to me when, when was it? I think it was when like they first announced Falcon and Winter Soldier or something. I I I wrote this article and I was talking to someone who said, you know, eventually it's going to get to the point where, you're going to go to the movies and you're going to see something from a Disney Plus show in the movie. And to understand it, you're going to need the context of the show. And we all know that, right? That's not like a big breakthrough. Right. But but this is the first time we've really seen that happen, obviously, because this is the first movie since that happened. And uh, I know that there was some concern that, like, eventually it's going to get to this weird moment where people who can't afford Disney Plus and don't want to pay the $80 a year to see it, they're not going to be able to keep up with Marvel. And it's actually going to, there's like a whole thing about how it's going to create a class divide. And um, so this is the first time we're seeing that. So it'll be interesting how this goes moving forward. If it, if it continues to be so heavy handed, thankfully it was an end credit scene. So, you know, you could argue it doesn't matter much, but who knows what it eventually becomes. That's a good perspective. I think that that's, I think that that's a concern, and, and since it's come up so regularly, I have seen that uh, sort of thrown around in, in different places as well, Herb. So I think, based on Kevin Feige's track record, and it does seem like he's concerned with 
you know, having this thing as accessible to as many people as possible and just, you know, reading production notes here or there, the occasional interview behind the scenes kind of a thing. I feel like they're trying to be cognizant of that. I, I, I Maybe it's the Star Wars universe because they're doing a similar thing between Disney Plus and, uh, and you know, some theoretical down the road movies plus a live action series versus animated series is that they want to try to keep each uh, iteration of things, whether it's the show so that you don't have to see the show for the story that you're watching. You don't have to have watched another show in order for the story that you're, you're following right now to make sense. It might enrich it. Like, you know, if you read the Harry Potter books versus only watch the movie, there's a bunch of additional material that enriches the story and, you know, makes it a little bit cooler, but you're not, you're not in a black widow movie. And then suddenly, um, U.S. agent comes and the movie's about U.S. agent for the rest of the time. Do you know what I mean? It would be if if they introduce U.S. agent in a movie, there will be some point of the movie that explains who he is and where he came from. Even if they don't like there'll be two characters talking with each other or a shield debrief or or something where they're like, okay, everybody, we know Walker. He took over for cat and they'll recap the stuff that you would have had to have seen in the series just so that you don't you're not just like, wait, huh? That actually would ruin narrative storytelling. They want everything to be at least somewhat accessible to anybody who comes in. When I recommend movies, I'll often say, look, you can start here if you want, but I would not recommend that this be your first entry into such and such a franchise. Like, you don't want to start Fast and the Furious with Fast and the Furious 9, but you could start it maybe with four or something like that. You know, there there are jumping on points that you can go, but there are definitely ones where you don't want it to be your jumping on point. Yeah, I guess that's like what they've been doing this whole time with certain characters. Like, yeah, like there'll be some characters pop up and like, uh, for example, like in WandaVision, you have like Darcy Lewis, right? And so like you wouldn't know her if you didn't see the Thor movies and such. So it's kind of, yeah, right, I, but guess, it, I guess that's been happening. But because right? she was in Thor, that it wasn't because she was in Thor in fact, she's actually different than she was in Thor. The last time we'd seen her, she was making out with an intern while things were popping up in and out of reality. Now she's a doctor. And now she's an actual doctor, and she corrects them on that, which was a funny line. It. And it's a funny-ish line, because if you haven't seen Thor, and you don't know who Darcy is as far as that universe goes, it's still a funny line of, like, don't dismiss me. I'm an actual doctor. I'm not just Miss but it's doubly funny when you know she really was missed before. That's how we got to know her. And now she actually is a doctor like Jane Foster was. So if they can continue to kind of maintain that balance, I think they'll be okay. But it's going to get more and more difficult. The more content we have, you know, and the more it crosses over. It's hard to keep up. I've, it is. I struggle sometimes, but I'm still here for it and happy about it. And I, I really, really enjoyed this movie. Here's the thing. We're going to get what we want. If we want more, they're going to give us more. And then we're going to be like, no, it's too much. (laughs) (laughs) You're drowning in it. But we did get the forced one-year starvation of everything. So it did certainly whet our appetites for it. I mean, think about WandaVision. Like, people were getting up at 2 in the morning to watch WandaVision. Although I don't think they're doing that for Loki now. Unless you actually have to write about it like, you know, Herb and I do. (laughs) We watch it early in the morning. But everybody else is like, I think I can wait till 7 o'clock tonight. Or tomorrow. 
Well, that'll do it for this episode of Fan Effect, where we've talked uh, quite a bit, more even than I expected, about Black Widow. But I guess this is what we get when we have to wait two years to talk about the next installment in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We have a lot built up and a lot to say. We hope you've enjoyed this. I want to thank our guests, uh, Herb Scribner from Deseret.com, Natalie Molinay from Pop Knowledge Blog. That is a a pop-knowledge.blogspot.com. And you can read uh, her background. She she gives great background. She does the research so you don't have to. You can just find out what you need to know about some of these different uh, fan franchises uh, without necessarily having to watch 17 hours of uh, movies and TV shows and or reading hours of material. She'll do the work for you. Uh, of course, Herb Scribner at uh, Deseret.com. He covers Marvel, Star Wars, all yeah. politics. Herb, you actually, have, I think, have put out an article about literally every subject on the planet. Uh, but my favorites are, of course, your, uh, your your pop culture stuff. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I try and cover everything for everyone. We look forward to having you guys back on the podcast as we go forward and get more and more uh, awesome content back out into uh, into the world, and we'll talk about it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fan Effect, a KSL News Radio podcast. Beyond sci-fi, gaming, fantasy, and tech, we're excited to share with you our knowledge and arguments on everything pop culture and fandom based in the beautiful beehive state fan effect celebrates utah's unique fan culture and we are excited to bring you local guests that feel the same way i'm andy farnsworth thanks again to our co-host and producer kellyanne halverson please listen on your favorite platform at kslnewsradio.com or on the ksl news radio app if you have a fun idea or local fan culture topic you'd like us to explore let us know by messaging our facebook page at fan effect show where you can also get the latest nerdly updates and join in the conversation. Follow us on Instagram at Fan Effect Show. That's E-F-F-E-C-T. And Twitter, same handle, at Fan Effect Show. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to have you back real soon for another episode of Fan Effect. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another... Pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope and Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.